Hello and welcome to the podcast on Broadwater Parish in Worthing, a thriving Anglican church based in the parish of Broadwater, West Sussex in Worthing. We are one church across three sites and Christians have worshipped for over a thousand years at our church at St Mary's. This podcast features sermons from our services and interviews and other episodes and you can find out more by going to broadwaterparish.org.uk. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this most recent episode of the podcast. This morning's reading is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, and this can be found on page 269 of the Bible. God writes the last chapter. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian keeper, Naomi, who has come back from Moa, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elemic. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elamech, Kilion, and Marlon. We have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marhen's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who built together up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphra, and be famous in Bethlehem. 
through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Andrew, if you don't know who I am. Um, should we just pray before we start? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's contained in your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us now as we study and try and understand more of your plans and your purposes for us. Amen. Amen. Um, oh, you might have noticed I've brought a little prop with me today. Um, this, this, if you're not familiar, this is Roger. Uh, this was um, something that my daughter Sophie bought when she went had a brief holiday in Copenhagen just before Christmas. You can see a bit of a, a Christmassy vibe going on there. So my question for you this morning is, how much do you think Roger is worth? Um, so you, you, you may respond. How much would you pay? It's a very fine-looking sheep, Christmassy sheep. Anyone? A quid, a, a pound. Any advance on a pound? Three? Fifteen, thank you. Now we go. I, I've always fancied myself as a bit of an auctioneer. <laughs> the answer is, thank you very much. It's not for sale, by the way, I'm sorry. The answer is, Roger is worth what somebody's prepared to pay for him. I think, I'm not entirely sure, I think it was 200 kroner, which is roughly about 20 pounds, so about right ballpark. Why am I saying that? Put Roger there so he can stare out at you. Is that, is that slightly intimidating? No, of course not. He's a friendly sheep. Right, our study today, our passage today, was all about somebody paying what they thought somebody, something was worth. So I just want to recap the story so far. Uh, I know we've covered some of these points in the past, and I expect Handy might do the same next, next week. Uh, so degree of repetition. However, uh, as a teacher, we call that reinforcement. Okay? So, back in chapter 1, very briefly, it's a time of famine. It's set in the time of judges. Those are dark days. People are doing their own thing. It's, there's lawlessness around. And the encouraging thing is that this book of Ruth is set right in the middle of the darkest of days. And it shows us that God is at work, even in the darkest of times. There's famine. Elimelech and Naomi and their sons, Killian and Marlon, they decide they're going to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they're going to move to Moab. Elimelech dies, the boys get married, ten years later they die, no children. Naomi's in a bit of a bind. She decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem, she's heard that things are getting better, and Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, come with her. Orpah turns back, but Ruth says, it's a great picture of repentance. She said, I'm going to leave behind my past life. I'm going to leave behind Moab. And I'm going to follow you, Naomi. I'm going to follow your God. Your God will be my God. She chooses to follow God. Chapter 2. We read that Ruth gleans in Boaz's field. At the end of chapter 1, we learn that it's just as the barley harvest is beginning. And one of the great themes, I believe, of Ruth is God's providence. God working out in the everyday choices that we make, 
his plans, his purposes. Now we do worship a God of miracles, but I think it's wonderful the way that God works in the ordinary everyday life. You know, sometimes we, we say, oh, birth of a new baby, that's a miracle. No, it's not. It happens every day. You see a wonderful sunset, you say, that's a miracle. No, it's not. It happens every day. It's everyday part of life. Walking on water, that's a miracle. It's when God suspends the natural way of doing things. But there is a wonder in the way that God works in our everyday lives to fulfill his plan and his purposes. And I want you to know this morning that God has a plan for your life. God's plans for you are for good and not for evil. Maybe there's some of us here this morning who need to be reminded that God wants to give you a hope and a future. He will work that out in the everyday choices that we make. God is a God of providence and he's working in Ruth's life. She just so happens to be in Boaz's field. Last time, chapter 3, Gaz shared with us about Ruth going to the threshing floor. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think if you look back, you can see God at work in your life. I can in, in my life. But at the time, it's a bit scary. When Ruth goes to the threshing floor, we know the ending of the story. It all works out very well. They get married and happily ever after. But at that time, that was quite a risky, quite a bold thing to do. They're all lying around in there looking after the crops. She goes and lies down at this man's feet. It's all a bit weird, as Gaz was sort of saying. But actually, what she is doing, she's taking a huge risk. She is saying to Boaz, will you marry me? No guarantee that's going to work out all right, is it? He might, he might say yes, he might say no. It's a risk. She's taking a risk. Actually, this is part of God's plan and purpose for looking after widows. So in that culture, that society, um, God, again, Gaz was saying last week, that last week how if a brother is married, dies, doesn't have any offspring, then there's an obligation on the next nearest male member of the family to marry, to carry on the line of the deceased. Part of God's provision. And so Ruth is saying, will you marry me? Actually, what she's saying is, will you redeem me? Will you buy me back? And at the end of chapter 3, Ruth goes back and Naomi says, wait, wait. So if you call on God, you say to God, will you redeem me? Will you save me? Naomi says, the man will not rest until he's sorted this out. So what is it that you and I do to gain our salvation? Nothing. We simply ask. Spurgeon, great preacher, said, it's not the sinner's grasp on the saver that saves you. It's the saviour that saves you. And so we're into chapter 4. Boaz goes to the town gate. The town gate, this is a place where business is conducted. The elders meet. It's a, I guess it's a bit of a talking shop. Maybe it's the coster of its day. People are standing around. But it's where business is transacted. And you have the elders, the people there who will witness all these transactions. And he grabs the, the, the next in line. So the phrase, I think, 
in the version that Liz read, it talks about guardian redeemer. Some of the phrases, I quite like the idea of kinsman redeemer. Do you recognise that phrase? So kinsman speaks of, if you're a kinsman, you're related. So you have to be related. And there's one who's closer. So he takes him, he goes to the town gate, says, right, okay, here we are, let's sit down. I've got a, a proposition for you. So Naomi, she's come back from Moab, um, and there's some fields you know, that are available, and it's you're next in line to buy them. What do you think? You know, I mean, who couldn't use a few more fields, let's be honest? Okay? So he says, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll, 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 I'll do that. And both quite clever, because he doesn't give all the information up front. And there's a, there's a little bit, of, oh, and by the way, if you buy the field, you get thrown in Ruth, the Moabitess. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? So I, I don't know, can you imagine the guy, how that conversation would go when, when he went home? He said, well, uh, evening, darling, you'll never guess what? I've just bought a field. It's marvellous, isn't it? Good. Right? Oh, and by the way, it looks like I'm going to have to get married again and have an extended family. How do you feel about that? Can you imagine that conversation? Not going to go down very well. I think the suggestion doesn't save. The suggestion is that he's probably got maybe a grown-up family. He's got his sons. The inheritance is already worked out. If he takes on Ruth, he is expected to start a family. And that inheritance now that you've all got sorted out has to be divided and shared. And he says, no, I'm not prepared to do that. Right? I'm, I'm related, yes. I, I can if I want to. I can afford it. But I'm not willing to do it. I don't want to redeem her. So Boaz obviously says, well, okay, that's fine. And that's why he's got the witnesses. There's no going back. Right, okay, so you've all seen today that he said he doesn't want to do it, but I will. He stands there public and says, I will redeem Ruth. I'll buy the land. He's not really interested in the land. He wants Ruth. He wants the Moabitess Ruth. And so the elders... And the people, they say, right, we have witnessed this. This is, it's a done deal. And I won't go into the bizarre thing about taking your sandal off. That was obviously the tradition in the day. Um, and they say, God bless you. May God make you like Rachel and Leah. Those are the people who gave birth to the children of Israel. The nation of Israel came from them. And interestingly, they say, may you be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Again, I won't go too much into the details of that, but if you look into the story, it's, it's not exactly you know, a God-ordained way of doing things. Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. And even though that's not God's best and God's plan, God is a God of grace. Don't you love it that he puts Perez in the ancestry of Jesus? There's Grace. Ruth, a Moabites, comes from a, a Gentile nation, is also brought in to the family of God, is part of the ancestry of Jesus. So what can we learn from this? So I just want to look briefly at three qualifications that Boaz had to be the kinsman redeemer. First, you need to be related. You need to be a blood relative. So he was, not the closest, but he was related by blood 
to the family of Elimelech, Kilian and Marlon. Secondly, he had to be able, he had to have the wealth, the wherewithal, the means. So he was a wealthy man, he could do that. And thirdly, he had to be willing. He wanted to go through with the transaction. The other guy, he was related, he was able, but he wasn't willing. And Boaz concludes that transaction. It's a wonderful picture, it's a love story, wonderful picture of redemption. It's a wonderful picture of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. In Ruth, we read of a man from Bethlehem, the house of bread, who redeems a Gentile bride. Does that sound familiar? Jesus Christ, the man from Bethlehem, came to this earth to redeem a Gentile bride, to redeem the church. But we could take it on a personal level. He came to redeem you, and he came to redeem me. You see, Ruth was an outsider. So Ruth is a picture of us, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. We're outsiders. We're outside of God's perfect will and way. Sin is what separates us. Going our own way is what separates us from God. Ruth turns around. She puts her faith and trust in God. She lays at the feet of Boaz and says, redeem me. Jesus, Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. Remember the three qualifications? Related. He's related to us. He is a blood relative. That's why the virgin birth is so important. But he was fully human. He was born of Mary. He is related. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to struggle. The only difference was he didn't sin. But he knew what it is to be human. He's related. He's able. He's God. He's fully God. He was the only one who was able to pay the price on the cross. He shed his blood for us. Corinthians says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place. That's what we're going to celebrate as we move towards Easter. That Jesus died in our place. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And he was willing. He said, I lay my life down willingly. Nobody, nobody takes it from me. He chose willingly to die. I love the um, reverse, I think, that, that great song, How Great Thou Art. One of the verses goes like this. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. So my challenge for you, for us, for me, is, never mind about how much Roger is worth, how much do you think you are worth? And how will you respond? I want to end with some words from a, a Graham Kendrick song, which will probably show my age. As a, an awkward teenager, kind of trying to figure out my identity in the world, I heard these words, and they spoke to me, and they still do. 
And he says this, is a rich man worth more than a poor man? A stranger worth less than a friend? Is a baby worth more than an old man? Your beginning worth more than your end? Now in our human world, we kind of, we would probably say yes to lots of those. But God values us differently, each and every one he loves. Is a president worth more than his assassin? Does your value decrease with your crime? Like when Christ took the place of Barabbas, would you say he was wasting his time? Well, how much do you think you are worth, boy? Will anyone stand up and say, would you say that a man is worth nothing until someone is willing to pay? If you heard that your life had been valued, that a price had been paid on the nail, would you ask what was traded, how much... And who paid it? Who was he? And what was his name? If you heard that his name was called Jesus, would you say that the price was too dear? Held to the cross not by nails but by love. It was you broke his heart, not a spear. Would you say you're worth what it cost him? You say no, but the price stays the same. If it don't make you cry, laugh it off, pass him by. But just remember the day when you throw it away that he paid what he thought you were worth. So how should we respond? How much do you think he is worth? Will anyone stand up and say, tell me what are you willing to give him in return for the price that he paid? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the story of Ruth. I thank you it is a story of redemption. But it is more than just that family all those years ago. It speaks of you, our great redeemer, that you came, you paid the price, that we might be brought into your family as outsiders, now part of your family, just as Ruth became part of your family. Help us, Lord, in our lives to respond to give you our honour, your honour and praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name. Amen.